The interviews and discussions on this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Hello and welcome to this special edition of Stockhead's Rock Yarn. Today we will explore the best practice for increasingly important investment criteria concerning the credentials that target companies or investment funds maintain around its environmental management and stewardship, its social responsibility as a member of a community and corporate governance practices that are in place over operations, other activities and human resources aspects of an enterprise. I'm your host, Peter Strachan. To bring us up to speed with best practice, we are delighted to welcome Erica Hall, who is the ESG analyst with Morningstar Australasia. Erica has a Bachelor's of Arts degree in Commerce from Deakin University, and like your host, a graduate diploma in Applied Finance and Investment from Finzia, as well as a Master's degree in Financial Planning from RMIT. Welcome, Erica. We've seen some Epic corporate fails because of ESG misses. The banking sector has come in for some stick. More recently, Rio Tinto's Dirk and Gorge episode caused grief. And of course, there are the affairs of Crown Casino. What interests us today is your work on why funds with a sustainability or a broad ESG focus may include fossil fuel exposure and why that's okay. Can you run us through what you do at Morningstar and give us some introduction to that uh, topic on the uh, fossil fuel industry. For sure, Peter. Thanks for having me on. So I am the ESG analyst at Morningstar. And what that means is I get to interview um, the asset managers that operate in the Australian market and really dive deeply into what they are doing from a sustainability perspective. And what we do know is that investors increasingly care about investing aligned to their values. And so they are demanding uh, sustainable investment solutions and more and more transparency in reporting and asking more of their asset managers. And as a result of that, there has been quite a, a number of new products being launched into the Australian market. But one of the challenges is, you know, what do we even mean by sustainability? And there are many different approaches in terms of impact investing and only investing in companies that are doing good. And then there's other approaches which are excluding certain sort of negative products like tobacco, which I understand makes sense to me because, you know, using the product causes harm. And then there's this whole area of greyness in terms of should you invest in fossil fuels or not? Um, Does it make sense for a sustainable portfolio to have exposure? And for me, it's not black or white. It definitely is a nuanced debate. And I actually believe that there is a place for fossil fuel exposure, which is probably somewhat counterintuitive, because we are on this path of net zero. So we want to transition to net zero by 2050. uh, And we need to because we have a real climate change issue. And fossil fuels are the primary cause of this global warming issue that we are currently facing. And so, you know, we've had 194 countries get together and sign the Paris Agreement to, to agree to actually reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But it's a it's a transition. So the transition is well underway, but we have a number of years to get there and it's not binary. We can't just stop and turn everything off um, at this point in time. We do need to kind of wean ourselves off fossil fuels for sure. 
um, the technology and renewable uh, energy has been incredible and it's becoming cheaper and cheaper to access, which is fantastic. Um, but for right now, yes, for me, it makes sense to be invested in fossil fuels in a sustainable portfolio um, because there's a whole bunch of reasons um, as to why. One is that um, if you want to see these fossil fuel companies transition, being a, a shareholder gives you an opportunity to then influence the decision and to bring ESG concerns um, to those companies. And also, it's um, an ability, if you can actually influence and help those companies transition, it's an ability to actually generate alpha. So those that are already transitioned, they're, they're under control, but you know they've, they've done all the heavy lifting. Where you can actually make a difference as an investor is engaging with those companies that are perhaps dragging their feet and bring them along for the journey. When you say alpha, you're saying that you can generate outperformance uh, versus your, the, your peers. Correct, exactly. Because, you know, if you can actually, um, it, because at the end of the day, the trend is clear. We, we are, you know, the, the demand for fossil fuel is going to decrease and, and is decreasing. In fact, we've already reached um, peak fossil fuel exposure uh, in the developed markets and we're pretty much close to, to that in the emerging markets as well. So, you know, if you think about where it's headed, it's definitely all going towards renewable energies. So the risk that you've got as an investor in fossil fuel assets is the stranded asset risk in terms of you're going to have a, an asset that's worthless because <laughs> it, it, there are other alternative sources to get your energy that are, are cleaner and, uh, and cheaper for that matter. And more level. Certainly, there's a that's a, a fair way down the road, but it's certainly it's something that I've been figuring out when looking at uh, what's going to happen with the, the bigger companies. But at the moment, of course, coal, oil, and gas make up something like eighty four or eighty six percent of the primary energy supply globally. So, as you say, I mean, there is a long road to travel, and we have to go down that road. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you know. It's around 10% of the electricity grid is from renewable sources here in Australia, but that's just going to continue to increase. And what we also know is, yeah, the cost to actually um, build and generate renewable energy is just has rapidly fallen and is actually it's more cost effective than um, fossil fuel generation. Um, and also we know that you know, coal is the one, of, you know, one of the dirtiest and one of the least reliable um, you know, energy sources. So it, it kind of makes sense to move away from the old technology and, and into the new and particularly when we want to have a um, sustainable future. You know, I've got children and I sort of, you know, I know that they care very much about global warming and how everything's going to sort of pan out for them. And so we need to sort of act and we need to act now. And you know, and this is a, a global agreement in, a, in effect through this Paris Agreement. So Erica, before we examine the other criteria that you might bring up for why you would invest in fossil fuels at the moment, can you, are you able to tell us uh, how the um, the uh, ESG-focused funds have performed versus those that don't have that criteria. Um, I've seen some some interesting numbers coming through. Over the long term, they have um, slightly outperformed their their peers. So, and when I'm saying long term, I'm talking five years. So, there has been 
a lot of discussion around, you know, do you have to give up returns to invest sustainably? And the answer is clearly no, over the long term you don't. But what you will find is you're going to have um, times of dislocation compared to the broader market because an ESG portfolio will tend to have different um, underlying asset allocations and sector allocations as a result of, you know, the sustainable objectives. So they've had a massive tailwind with healthcare and tech, you know, being two of the sectors that are typically overweight, which have done really well in the last sort of five years or so, and they're typically underweight energy. And energy was very much on the nose. It was, um, you know, really beaten up. And, of course, now um, with the, I guess, the conflict in the Ukraine and the energy crisis and the security of energy, it's had a real turnaround. And as a result, in the short term, yes, those funds that are sustainable and are not invested in energy stocks have performed uh, more negatively than the broader market. Yeah, they've lagged in the short term. Okay, so you've spoken about the the opportunity to engage uh, and and sort of change the the view of companies by investing in them. What other characteristics uh, would you say are positive for investors to to be in the sector? Well, it's one of these sort of unintended consequences that if you don't invest in a particular sector, which is, is what we've kind of just touched on, you've got an issue then that when the sector is doing really well and you're not, you've actually completely eradicated that sector from your investment portfolio, you're quite challenged. Where you're not going to actually perform as well. And then also you've got the other concern in terms of, okay, you know, from an Australian perspective, you know, the energy sector is around 6% of the broader market. So you cut out 6% of the broader market. Where are you going to invest that? Do you equally weight it? And if you equally weight it, you're going to have a very high exposure to financials. Or if you then um, choose, you can choose the sectors, you're going to be overweighting particular sectors. So then you've got this issue around performance and managing performance and, and managing investors' expectations. So, you know, some of the, again, this is another reason why I think, you know, perhaps having some exposure to energy can make sense from that sort of managing the volatility against broader market is that you may, you know, some of the approaches are you'll just take the best best in class, best in breed and have exposures to those that are actually committed to transitioning to net zero, um, have a, a clear plan um, in place. And so um, that way you've got your exposure to energy and you're not um, going to, you know, look as volatile from a performance perspective. Look, I think that's a, a very good point, Erica, because in fact, I was speaking with a company yesterday in the oil and gas sector who've made a, quite an interesting investment into uh, renewable energy. And they've said, since they've announced that, their telephone is just ringing off the hook with investors and others, you know, taking more interest in them as a, you know, they're, they're an oil and gas company, but they've got this rather interesting technology and bingo, all of a sudden, you know, all the ESG investors are going, yeah, let's have a look. Definitely. So certainly the weight of capital, um, you know, we can see that going into sustainable investments. And as a result, um, those companies that are, you know, taking the transition to net zero seriously and do have plans in place and are looking at new technologies to lower their greenhouse gas emissions are going to be the beneficiaries. So I guess that's something, again, for investors to sort of think about. You know, it is worthwhile looking into what the underlying companies are doing and what their plans are and how generally committed they are because they are likely to be the winners. The trend is clear. 
And we've seen companies breaking themselves up as well for this purpose. I mean, Woolworths is a classic case where they spun off their uh, poker machines and tobacco and not tobacco, alcohol, so, so they could be a pure retailer. Yes. And look, definitely um, when I'm talking to asset managers, as a result of that, it has uh, enabled them to be able to invest in Woolworths for the first time, whereas before it didn't meet their sustainability criteria. Um, I guess one of the challenges with that is are you solving the problem by doing that? And look, I don't really have an answer. I'm still kind of grappling with it myself. Is this a form of of greenwashing? Is this a form of window dressing? Does this actually um, solve, solve the issue? Um, is the question and I think it's the same thing you know like AGL look to actually spin out their sort of um, polluting yet dirty coal right and Mike Cannon Brooks went well this doesn't solve the problem like you're just pushing the problem onto somebody else Um, you're not taking any greenhouse gas emissions out of the system and so he was highly opposed to it and in a unique position as a billionaire to be able to buy, a, you know, a reasonable stake in the company um, and then, you know, lobby, I suppose, other investors and and enact change. And so he was able to stymie that um, spin-off and as a result has also had three members of the board resign, the chairman of the board resign and also the managing director resign. But... Um, been able to bring in some board members that are you know, more uh, aligned to you know, renewable energy and more aligned to you know, net zero. Um, and as a result, you know, they now have a plan in place <laughs> to actually get to net zero. And to me, that's a better outcome because one of Mike Cannon-Brooks's you know, comments was, if you're selling it off to somebody else, you're actually going to extend the life of these dirty, polluting um you know, power generators, and AGL is responsible for 8% of um, greenhouse gas emissions. So, uh, you know, 8% of Australia's greenhouse gas emissions, which is huge. So, you know, that's where you can get your maximum bang for your buck if you can actually um, you know, shut those down early and take on more renewable you can make a real dent in the greenhouse gas emissions. So I think in the AGL in in the AGL case, uh, Cannon Brooks and others were looking at the infrastructure that AGL has and being able to leverage off that um, as a valuable you know starting block. And I don't know um, if you looked at the uh, Woolworths case over the period since uh, Endeavour was spun off. Probably from an investment point of view, you would have been better off in Endeavour than you were in Woolworths. <laughs> and both have performed quite well. But yeah, it is. It's um, so. There's a sort of a trade-off there, isn't there? Well, I guess it's early days too. It's, we're talking quite short term as well. So I think um, yeah, let's wait and see what it looks like from a, a long-term perspective. Um, but yeah, look, I, at the end of the day, I think you know, as more information becomes available, better data becomes available, and investors, um, you know, want to be a, a, you know invested aligned to their values, we're going to see more and more demand for sustainable um, approaches to investing. It's not enough now just to generate a profit. It's how you make that profit matters. Given the current sort of strict environmental restrictions that we see uh, being erected, do you think there's any opportunities there for some sort of perverse or negative social outcomes from strict environmental uh, sort of guidelines? Look, I think there's always unintended consequences when there's periods of change. 
Um, and I think if I look at what's going on in Europe and um, you've got the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation and what they've done there is they've tried to improve the transparency um, and allow investors to compare um, funds from a sustainability perspective and they're also trying to combat greenwashing and greenwashing is when you overstate your um, you know, your greenness effectively to try and sort of um, gather more funds under management or um, you know. so yeah, as a result of that um, there's been a real rush to be um, considered Article 8 in particular or Article 9 which means that you have some sort of sustainable credibility and you know that just then has a interesting unintended consequence in terms of flow of capital and so you know so maybe if you're then you know got investors looking at article 8 and article 9 perhaps those um, countries or companies that are now excluded from that um, are the ones that are most in need of capital to get them to transition and to get them across the line and so what you might find is that you're getting um, like the Scandinavian countries who have got it all under control, uh, potentially could be getting the lion's share of capital flows when maybe it's some of these emerging markets that need assistance and capital to help them transition is where we should be at. So there's an unintended consequence of regulation, which is really well-intentioned, but um, you know could have a negative impact on capital flows and the, the transition. There's certainly a lot of uh, hot air going around about hydrogen and so people talking about hydrogen as a fuel and of course we all know hydrogen is not a fuel, it has to be manufactured and the energy cost of manufacturing it is way more than the energy that you get out of it. So it might have a role as a store of energy or it might have a role in uh, as a reducing agent uh, but certainly not the great panacea that a lot of people have said. And, uh, yeah, I think the other thing to think about, of course, is in India, there's 400 million people who still don't have access to uh, electricity, reliable power. And, um, you know, from looking at these things from a Western lens, it's all very easy to sort of forget that these people, you know, want and deserve to have access to power supplies. Oh, definitely. There's a moral obligation to make sure there's universal access to energy, for sure. I did actually on that read um, something that came out. There was a joint study done by India's Council of Energy, Environment and Water and the financial think tank Carbon Tracker. And, you know, basically what they were saying is that um, fossil fuel you know, electricity generation had globally peaked and, and emerging markets are actually seizing the opportunity to actually, um, you know, utilise low-cost renewables and, in fact, it's the cheapest source of new electricity um, for most of the world, I think at least 90% of the world. So, you know, to me that's really interesting um, and so, you know, and they, they talked about the growth in sort of renewable um, energy sources that are occurring in India and how quickly they're able to um, introduce that. And so you think about the cost it takes to sort of build a, the infrastructure for fossil fuel, it's actually it's cheaper to build the infrastructure for renewable. There's no doubt. I mean, the, it's like I was in Bangladesh about a decade ago and it's what's noticeable is that there's no f- phone system but everyone has mobile. So they've completely jumped over the whole copper wire thing is just has just missed out. They've missed out on 20 or 30 years of technology and just gone straight to the, you know, the cheaper and more effective technologies. 
That's a perfect, they talk about leapfrogging and that's exactly it. So you go from straight into renewables and you kind of avoid oil and gas altogether. So it's the same concept. Well, Erica, that's a very, very brief but exciting introduction to your world of ESG. And thank you for coming on to Stockhead today to to run us through those uh, areas. It's been really, I'm sure the uh, subscribers will be really interested to get your take on on the developments uh, that we've seen and, and what, what to expect going forward. So thanks once again for coming in to have a chat with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.